the leopard just sat there and suddenly it dropped down on all fours and it crept along the ditch and out of sight and everyone just looked at each other in disbelief. You say, well, I've seen this big cat. Some people just flatly refuse. They think that Britain's such a sweet little island, we shouldn't have predators that size. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello everyone and welcome to Big Cat Conversations. Our guest is John and John is based in Staffordshire and John's work takes him around the neighbouring counties and he's going to be talking about two remarkable and I do think they're remarkable incidents he's had during his travels with his dog. He'll introduce his dog in a minute as well and we'll be able to see photos of the second incident we're talking about on the website on bigcatconversations.com on the references and links page. If you scroll down to the end, if you're listening to this on schedule, it will be the last episode. And John, welcome to Big Cat Conversations. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. And John, I know we're going to be talking about two cases and all your thoughts that have been triggered by those experiences you've had. So can we start with the first one and tell us where you were, when it was, and all about what happened, please? Yeah, of course. So it was in Shropshire can't remember exact date, but March, April 2010. I suppose I must mention that at this point I had no knowledge or experience of big cats in this country. So to sort of set the tone, what, what was happening was I, I was working for myself at the time. And on my journey back, what I used to do, I had, uh, I've got a Husky, Siberian Husky, who is now 11. Um, so he was only very young at that time. I used to take him with me in the back of the car as I sort of travelled around the Midlands and, and Shropshire and Herefordshire areas. So I pulled over on a very quiet country lane surrounded by fields and woodland. And what I'd actually done, I pulled over for two reasons. One, just so I could sort of let the dog out for five minutes, stretch his legs, put him back in the car. And then what I then proceeded to do, I was sitting there filling in paperwork uh, in the car. I was probably sitting there for around 45 minutes to an hour while I was doing the paperwork. The whole time I was there, not one of the car came down. It's it's a very, very quiet rural area. And all of a sudden, as I'm sort of sitting parked at the side of the lane, from right to left, I've noticed at the corner of my eye very quickly, right in front of the car, probably 10 or 15 feet from the front of the bonnet, a very small cat, black cat, walking from right to left. However, I'm describing it as a cat now. Initially, as I sort of saw it, it was nothing that I'd seen before. It actually looked, it was very chunky, bulky, probably the size of like a small spaniel. It looked a little bit like a a bear cub with a tail initially, was my sort of initial thought in a split second. You could sort of see like a mottled black fur to it with sort of slight spots. Um, And it just walked from sort of right to left very quickly. Uh, But I've caught sight of it and I was a little bit shocked, to be honest. I wasn't quite sure what I'd actually seen. And there was that moment of what was that? And as I sort of started thinking about it, immediately after, but much quicker, there's ditches on the right hand side and the left hand side where there's bushes going into the fields from the very same spot where this animal came from casual as you like from right to left very same spot was what i believe was its mother and was very clearly a large black leopard no question what it was clear as day very large quite low to the ground but very long with a long dragging tail practically the size of its own body behind it very thick tail just walked very swiftly right to left across right in front of me a black leopard and they very quickly as they'd sort of both gone from right to left i didn't see where they went at all i mean there is fairly deep ditches in the side by the bushes they just disappeared into the bush and from then still in shock i didn't want to get out of the car i wasn't scared but curious but i didn't want to get out of the car but what i did do for probably about the next hour or so was 
drive very slowly up and down the lane, just trying to see if I could um, see them again, but didn't see anything, unfortunately. Yeah, remarkable. And you had no context, no background for this. You weren't interested in the subject, had no real knowledge of Big Cat reports in the press or anywhere. And so it was a complete shock. No, no knowledge at all at that point. It was a complete shock. Prior to having my dog, the husky Max, he very quickly got me used to going out and about and walks, woods and forests. And prior to that, I wasn't as much of an outdoors person before I got the dog. So he was very young at the time. It was a relatively new experience sort of walking around in these areas. But yeah, the actual sighting was just a complete shock. But very quickly, sort of minutes after, I figured out what it was that I saw and was very curious to see where they went. And, and so I could see them again and try and take a photo if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, although camera phones weren't as good as they are now, obviously 10 years ago. Yeah. Had you just seen the first one, the smaller one, John, do you think you would have concluded it was a panther cub, or something like a black leopard cub? I think I would have done, but... The main reason for that was because to justify it to myself in my own mind, if this makes sense, is that when I saw what I believe was the mother, that was very clear. There was no question. Obviously, you know, most people know what a black leopard or a panther, et cetera, is, what it looks like. But the first animal, I, I'll be honest, I, I was sort of going on the internet and to sort of settle it in my own mind was typing in black leopard cub. And when you see sort of pictures of, not newly born, but very young black leopard cubs. And that strange shape that they're sort of still trying to grow into, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. the mottled sort of, it was the hair. It looked like it was in really sort of poor condition, actually, yeah. like the mottled hair. But in actual fact, when I've looked on the internet, there's many, many images that I'm sure the people can see that you'd actually agree that the fur isn't quite perfect yet. It's sort of in development. And I think that's what it must have been. Yes, and you described it as quite bear-like, and other witnesses do quite spontaneously. Sometimes people use the word teddy bear. Sometimes people say yes. almost half bear, or a third bear, a third puppy, and a third cat. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it looked like. It, I think it was because it was so chunky, but it was the head of it as well. So you've just mentioned teddy bear there, and that with the head and the round fluffy ears, that's exactly what I would describe it as from the head and ears perspective. Are you pretty certain there would have just been the one? You didn't miss one going across the road before that you saw that one, do you think? I only saw one, but that one and the other, the, the larger cat both disappeared very quickly into the bush and on the left-hand side, which is odd in one way because the field is completely open and clear. As it goes up a hill, there is a very large, thick woodland that is restricted access, which I didn't know at the time. I know since then. I'm not sure if I would have missed a first one. I'll be honest, if you imagine sitting in your car in the driver's seat and you've got your head down and you're doing paperwork, I'm sure many people have done themselves before. I was concentrating more on the paperwork than expecting a wild animal to walk out mm. in front of me. So it's possible. I might have done, but I definitely only saw the one cub yeah. and large cat. And whatever, they melted away pretty quickly. They did, yeah, but... So I drove up and down trying to sort of look. Either side of the fields, there is large, thick woodland touching on forest sort of size. Mm-hmm. And the surrounding areas is, you know, fields for, for many miles. There's very, very few main roads or properties. I did go back several times afterwards, which I don't think I mentioned previously to you, but I, I went back several times afterwards out of curiosity. Yeah, many people do. the dog. Yeah, I probably went back probably up to about 15, maybe 20 times over the next six months, walking back over the area, trying to see if there was any evidence of tracks or carcasses of any point. And, and all of this stemmed from, obviously, the research that I started doing following my sighting. When I looked into it on the internet, I could see that in surrounding areas and around Shropshire that there actually been quite a high number of sightings of of, of similar cats and people were giving statements of you know carcasses and footprints etc but I I, I went back Rick many many times I I never saw any sort of other evidence of them being there 
Sure. That's a common with witnesses, John. I mean, many people do that. And you know how lucky you were. This was complete chance. Yes, yeah, absolutely. What is extra intriguing about this one is that you being propelled into this subject straight away by that experience, you got to see instantly evidence of breeding. Now, many people's their first sighting is a glimpse of one walking across the road or in the distance, and they're sure it's a black leopard or black panther, but they have no context to whether it's a vagrant cat or whether it's one of a breeding population. But you straight away saw a cub and its mother, presumably. So that is a very different instant reaction, an instant thought process for you. Absolutely. Like you mentioned before, what my thoughts would have been on it if I would have only seen the cub, I I think I would have been pretty quick to figure out by looking on the internet and putting, you know, my sighting, which is etched in my memory. You know, it's obviously not your everyday occurrence. So Mm. it's something that even though 10 years ago today, when we're talking about it now, it's as if I can picture myself reliving the, the sighting with it, the detail of it, everything, the location. So it might have been different then, but yeah, seeing the mother come out, which I assume it would have been the mother. I've not got or claim to have any knowledge on breeding habits or roaming habits of, of these cats. I've not got any experience with that at all, Rick, I'll be honest. Yeah. I've, you know, yeah. I've obviously done a lot of reading up on other people's sightings and information since then. But it's a reasonable conclusion that that was a mother and cub. I think most people would hopefully agree. I would think so. I mean, and it was only due to your podcast, which is great, by the way, I must mention that it actually reinvigorated my interest in it and why I have obviously made contact with you because I think I've probably not mentioned sightings to anyone for at least two or three years. And, and I've actually, I actually went away from sort of thinking about the subject. I used to make a point following my sightings of killing two birds with one stone, of having a husky that needs to be walked for, you know, couple of hours a day and the areas that I work and live in just making the most of sort of trying to walk around in these areas and see if I could get any further sightings um yeah that sort of dropped off a couple of years ago my interest with it and the few people I have told about sightings (laughs) didn't really believe much Mm. of the information or the detail that that I gave them sort of laughed off so I, I quite quickly went away from the whole subject and it was only your podcast that actually prompted me to get in touch and thought I'd share my sightings with you and the other listeners. Yeah, well, that's very nice and very nice feedback because that was part of the thinking behind the podcast that it would prompt people to come forward and to rethink their experience and to share it. So glad you have done and glad to hear it's been helpful in that way. And how frustrating was it for you, John, to have people not quite sure about what you were saying? Even in the family, I guess, people weren't sure that what you were saying was correct. Yes, yeah. I can't recall at that time that there was anybody that actually believed. How did they write it off? What were they suggesting you saw? It was probably just a couple of feral cats, dogs. When I tried to explain the size of, obviously, (laughs) the size of the large cat, which I would put at the same size as... I've got a male husky. I would put the same size as the husky. Probably not as tall, probably a little bit lower, but much longer, with a much longer tail. The size comparison, there's no way that you could, anybody could describe it as a dog or definitely not a domestic cat. I think an opinion that a couple of people had was it's rural areas. And I've seen a couple of feral cats myself that, that are quite large, you know, because mm. they're obviously living off the land and have a completely different diet to domestic cats. But there's a massive difference in a, a feral cat. I mean, I've not seen a feral cat that was as big as the cub. Nowhere near it. Completely yeah. different shape and size. What about the the mother, the larger one? Could you give us yes. a more full-on detailed description? I mean, you've said it was it was long in the body and long in the tail, but anything more? Yeah, a very large, chunky head. Round ears, very similar sort of teddy bear-like ears to the cub, just larger. It looked as if the ears were sort of slightly down. I'm not quite sure what that means or what that reflects on their movement at the time but that was from what I saw very briefly in the sighting but it was the coat it was the sort of like shiny gleaming black I mean just quite spectacular really like the the coat and the thing that stood out most Rick I think was the thickness and the length of the tail it must have been which is obviously very different to dogs or domestic cats it was just very long and thick all the way 
and it was about as long as the body, I suppose is the easiest way to describe it. But that was definitely the standout thing. Yes, I often think they're like a bull rush all the way through. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and people say that. People say uniform thickness, like a sort of pipe cleaner or like a piece of rope. That's consistent. It doesn't taper off at the end. It was just pretty much the same thickness all the way to the end. Can I ask about the texture of the coats? It's rare for people to see rosettes or texture which might be leopard-like rosettes because a lot of people don't figure out that these are leopards or leopard-like cats and they just use the word panther. But it's interesting that you concluded fairly swiftly that this was a leopard from seeing the texture, particularly of the cub. Is that right? Yes, yeah. It was very slight on the larger cat. It was very prominent in the cub much more prominent from what i've looked at in research since i think that generally seems to be the case stands out a little bit more from a younger age i couldn't comment on the eye color of either cat that's the one thing that i didn't really see clearly i think i was more concerned about the actual side on view which is what i got perfectly they didn't look they didn't look towards me. That's one thing I would say. It was like they were just very focused on the direction they were going. In some ways, a broadside view is better than a frontal view because you can gauge scale and movement and yeah. poise and everything yeah, from definitely. that. Yeah. We'll get on to your view on what you feel on the bigger picture and on Big Cats Living Wild later, but I presume it's affected you, influenced you emotionally more seeing mother and cub straight away because don't forget some people's first viewing of a cat. Luckily, this is pretty rare, but you do get people whose first ever experience of a panther, black leopard or puma is that it's hissing or snarling and giving them a warning. And that's obviously fairly different in how you're going to react. But your first encounter was mother and cub. Now, has that affected you, your emotional response to the subject, do you think? I think so. From my initial thoughts following the sighting, I was more curious than scared. I don't know what it was, but even though they're obviously a large, big cat, it didn't make me feel like there was anything to be worried about or threatened by. Or And when I initially went back and thought about it and started looking more into the subject and doing the walking around and searching, etc. myself, my initial opinion was that even though it was mother and cub, these cats were being released by people. I didn't truly believe at the start of it that they were breeding out there. Um, okay. However, mm. my opinion has changed on that, I must say. Fair enough. Okay. I think we can get on to the second encounter now, John. That's all very, very helpful. And presumably, although you were out on the alert for big cats because of that, but you'd had lots of frustrating drives around the area and looks around the area and never seen anything. I guess you were thinking that it was never going to happen again. And then it did in Herefordshire a few years later. Dog walking again. Completely different area and purely by chance, Rick, and, and very lucky. However, since my first sighting, the amount of time I've spent out in forests and countryside and areas where there's been many other sightings, kind of hoped in the back of my mind I would have had more sightings so this would have been about four and a half years later it was like October 2014 this was now in Hereford area once again I involved me with work the dog's out with me got a couple of hours to spare to walk the dog so it's a very thin high path high wooded area very secluded area with woodland and surrounding countryside and forestry. Now, down to the right-hand side of where I'm walking is a very steep wooded bank. As we're walking along the path, my dog is off the lead at this point, but always stays very close to me. Walking along the path and then probably 20, 30 yards ahead in front of me, out of nowhere, from left to right, out walks a big black cat. Very obviously a large black leopard. Now, as it walked out in front, very slowly and very calmly as well, it sort of stopped briefly and looked straight towards us. Very, very briefly, momentarily, as sort of it slowly walked past. Quick look and then carried on walking to head to the right down the steep wooded bank. People are probably going to ask a question in regards to my dog, in regards to my dog's reaction, I must point out that my, even though he's a husky, my dog is very relaxed and a bit wet behind the ears in regards to 
you would expect a husky to spot wildlife quicker than you when it's normally me that spots it <laughs> a lot quicker than him. Yeah, I, I was wondering, yeah. No, he was very just sort of, you know, there is deer in the area there, which I'm fully aware of now. So when there's deer, he tends to sort of head down, sniffs the ground, and he's oblivious to everything else that's going on around him. So as I spotted the cat, I've quite quickly grabbed him by the collar. And if I suppose if you can imagine that I've got my left hand on the dog holding his collar and I'm still trying to hold my head up and spot where this cat is heading because this time I wanted to try and get better sighting where it was going and try and get a photo. So with my left hand, I'm trying to hold the dog and with my right hand as I'm looking where the cat's going, I'm trying to pull my bag off my shoulder to get my phone out of the bag and the rucksack on my back. So as this is all going on, I've managed to get the bag off, get the phone out, still keeping an eye on the cat that I can just about see that is walking down the steep wooded bank. Mm -hmm. One thing I must say is that considering it was October and any other animal that's roaming about, my dog included and me, when you're walking through, and there's a lot of branches and leaves and stuff on the floor. When we're walking, we tend to, even if we're trying not to, still make a lot of noise, but This was a big animal walking down a bank with leaves and branches, absolutely silent, absolute silence. Couldn't hear where it was heading. It was me having to keep an eye on its tail was the thing that was helping me keep note of where it was going. So it's headed down the woody bank. And then at one point, it then stops, turns around by a large tree. And I couldn't quite make it out, but it was if it was rubbing or if it was like urinating on the tree or near the tree, but it was definitely doing something. It wasn't scratching the tree. It was doing something to sort of rub alongside it or urinate, one or the other. But then Mm -hmm. it then proceeds to sit down, sitting upright. At this point, it's side on facing from right to left at the bottom of the bank. At this point, I've got my phone in my hand and I've snapped a couple of photos. Now, it's it's quite some distance away where it is. So I've pressed it, snapped a couple of photos, and then it sort of kept looking up towards us. So it kept turning its head, very relaxed, nonchalant, just looking towards us every couple of seconds. Um, So I've had time. I, I have actually zoomed in and then taken a couple of other photos to give a bit more shape and perspective in comparison to the size of the area and the trees etc which i believe gives a good example of how big the cat was so and this is all happening fairly quickly but what i've thought then is at some point this cat has got to move it's got to walk off so i've then got my phone trying still to keep an eye on the cat as i'm trying to get it on the video mode to take a video the cat starts to move from right to left the direction it was facing and before i could actually press on the video the cat is out of sight i have actually got which i'm happy to send to you rick mm-hmm. i have actually got that video clip of when i've pressed it when it mm-hmm. literally has just moved if somebody's got better quality enhancement or equipment than i have i think you can see the end of the tail as it walks off yeah but it's just tantalizing and frustrating because there's not enough of it presumably it is. Do you know, do you know what? If, if it had been seconds earlier, but you can hear actually on the video, you can hear my breath. You can hear me like my deep breath, like the, mm. not the panic, I wouldn't say, but the sort of the suspense of the whole moment. And <laughs> as I'm explaining now, it sounds like it went on for 10 minutes. This just wasn't the case at all. From start to finish, it happened very quickly. But I was very lucky enough to take photos of the cat at a distance and then zoomed in as well. Yeah, and all the while you're holding the dog on the lead with the other hand, aren't you? Yes, yeah, I'm just holding him by the collar. He's a big dog, so I can stand normal and hold him because he's a big dog. Yes. He was oblivious. Like I say, he's a very good dog. He's a very sort of obedient and relaxed dog. If I'm holding him by the collar, you know, there's no struggle, there's no noise or no nothing. He's just so very obedient and, and relaxed. He didn't notice the cat at any point. It would have been easier if you'd have had two hands, though, presumably. Yes, yeah. (laughs) It would have been much easier. But I suppose on that note, I probably wouldn't have been out there without the dog. I'd only walked in this particular area, working over in Hereford area, wherever I was at the time and seeing customers, I would just look on Google Maps and just look and think, well, 
there's a wooded area let's go to it and let the dog off for an hour there was no plan in particular areas where i'll go i had walked there once before mm. but i think because this was four and a half years later after the first sighting i'd given up hope i'll be honest by, <laughs> by this point the first yeah. couple of years after i went out thinking ah oh, well i'm definitely going to see one if i'm walking around the forests and you know, thinking it would be easy when, in actual fact, I think if you go looking for one, you're very unlikely to see one. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I never expect to see one again in my life, basically. And I'm out regularly following up witness reports. And in a way, John, you've had in those two encounters what most people would regard as the ultimate experience. You have seen a mother and cub and you've had the chance to take a photo. Now, if you'd have offered that to any mm. anorak like me, anybody who pursues this subject, they would think that that's very unlikely to happen and they would think it would be the most incredible highlight of their whole sort of career and interest in pursuing big cats and it's happened to you by chance. So you have had the ultimate, really. Yeah, I suppose I have been very lucky in one respect. Although sometimes in my own mind, I think that over a 10-year period and the amount of time that I have spent six, seven days a week spending hours out in these particular areas and countryside and even areas where I've researched where people have had other sightings, you just keep hoping and hoping that another one's going to come along. But yeah, I'm glad I got the photos from the second sighting, although it was over five years ago. The quality of camera phones, even over the last couple of years, has got much, much better. And it would have been nice to have got the video shot. But I've been to the area and done comparisons with my dog and looking down at where the cat was. And not to justify it to myself, just to justify the photos to other people. Yeah, if we may, John, we'll put one of those on the website as well with the original photo. More than happy to uh, provide them and let people give their own opinion. Like with any photos that come out in this subject, Rick, in this country, that mm. there's always going to be debate, let's be honest. Mm. I think as clear as any photo would be in this country, there would always be people asking questions of size, colour, location. I don't know what your opinion is and how you think that what is the ultimate evidence for this. I'm, I'm not entirely sure because there will always be doubters. I suppose people have just got to be confident who have seen them out there, just confident in their own sightings. Yes. Well, I think most people do want the visual. I mean, and most people go for DNA, body and visual record in the photo or, or video. Video footage is obviously far better, but it's more difficult to yeah. get on the perfect level. But it's also a numbers game, I think. Whatever kind of evidence and better quality evidence you're going for, you want several samples of it, really, to show the bigger picture. And I guess you really want evidence of breeding for all the candidate cats, the mountain lion puma type, the black yeah. leopard panther type and the, and the lynx type. And of course, that could take a long, long while. And maybe we shouldn't be in a rush. I think it's inevitable that some of us feel we should be in a hurry, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll happen um, when it happens. And maybe the time it takes to get there is helpful to help us all acclimatise and get things. Let's you hope know. so. Yeah. My personal opinion is that I, I think at some point with all the technology and, you know, with the likes of yourself bringing the podcast out and bringing people's attention to it. And I imagine you would have seen that the more that you speak about these subjects is the more that people come forward and go, oh, well, actually, I've actually seen one. And because I've had that on a couple of occasions where you get in conversation with people and they quite calmly mention that they've had sightings themselves. And mm. they're obviously out there. It's easy for me to say because I've obviously had two sightings. I've seen a cub. I know what I've sort of seen. And they're obviously doing a very good job of keeping themselves to themselves and doing what they do best. My photos, as good as my sightings are, and my photos that I believe are good, genuine photos of you mm. can see scale and sort of from a distance, you, you wouldn't even see the head of a domestic cat. And when people look at them, they'll have varied opinions on it. I've seen photos of pretty good sightings, but even if you've got good video footage, good photos, people, are, there's always going to be doubters, in my opinion, where people will dismiss it and go, well, it might be the one cat that's been released or a pet's escape, a zoo escape, until I think the ultimate evidence would be somebody over days or weeks filming a family of these cats with cubs yeah, just to prove that there's a breeding population out there. I'm not sure what your opinions are on that with the, uh, the best evidence that would be available to support it or if there's sort of, if you know of anybody that has had prolonged 
sightings and evidence rather than just the one-off? Yes, some people do have prolonged sightings and think about getting it on camera, but they're wary of revealing it. I have seen perfect footage of a puma especially and near-perfect footage of one or two others. People are reluctant to share that with the world and I don't blame them. I've also had a documentary maker who knew that somebody had mother and cubs on their land and was briefed all about it and was desperate to film it and was not given permission because it was deemed too sensitive. And that's the nature of the subject. And I imagine any sensitive subject on any topic anywhere in the world, it's human psychology to keep it under wraps because there are always unintended consequences that people worry about and the Pandora's box being open. And I think it's all inevitable, really. You're absolutely right that. I'd probably be the same if I had a certain amount of land or as a farm or et cetera, that if I had them on my property and they were there and they were breeding and they weren't causing anyone any harm, I probably wouldn't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. There's probably many, many of the wrong people queuing up to sort of take advantage, probably financial advantage of the situation with them as well, which I certainly wouldn't want it, so I could completely understand. I'd love to see some great footage from somebody else or sort of evidence of this, but then on the same token, I understand how sort of sensitive and how protective you would be. There was one additional thing about the Hereford sighting. I mean, many, many times I returned to this spot walking the dog for many years because of where the area is, how it's set out, it's secluded. So I thought there's a very good chance there is like cave areas as well. Mm-hmm. So I've not been close up to them because they are very difficult to get to. But I kept going back because I was pretty confident this might be a place where the cat might actually stay and repeat visits. To explain where the area is without giving it away too much is that on the approach to this high area, there are four or five very separated houses in the area. They were built for purpose within this area, sort of very secluded, out the way, very, very quiet. However, on one of the occasions I was there, as I approached the area to park up, I saw postman. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd take the opportunity of get out and speak to the postman for two reasons. He was sort of looking at me as if to say, you're not from around here. So I wanted to make sure that he was okay and clear that I was just there walking my dog. But in conversation, I said, do you know if they've got some sort of like large wildcat here, like a leopard, panther that could have escaped or they've let out? And he very, very casually said, oh, no, that's the panther that lives around here. <laughs> <laughs> I went, all right, okay, panther. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's probably a few around here, but there's one. that I've, you and, Yeah, we, we've all like seen it several times. I've seen it a handful of times just roaming around very casually as if it was was a large fox or a badger. <laughs> yeah. That relaxed. Local knowledge, matter of fact, yeah. Yeah, local knowledge. You know, there's probably in this whole area, there's probably a dozen people that probably live there, 20 at max. And it was just, yeah, yeah, we all know about the cat. Yeah. <laughs> and sort of more interested with looking through his the letters that he needed to post. Um, so, yeah. And that was probably six months after the sighting that was a very good indicator to me that there's at least this one cat that would be staying in the area and because of the caves and the secludedness of it that nobody else walks around there it's not a dog walking area Mm. i kept revisiting the area hoping that i would get another sighting i was there as recently as yesterday walking the dog going back to the casual reaction of the local people and uh keeping it under the radar attitude i think that is common And I think you get visitors to an area who see one may well tell the press or tell other people, but local people who see them tend to keep it relatively quiet because they fear that invasion or fear the spotlight coming to their local area and any consequences that might be a bit daunting for them. So I think it's quite natural for people to just keep it low-key and some people do almost take it for granted. It's another animal in the countryside to get used to and they have sort of got used to. And I think we tend to think everybody's okay about it, but for some people, we'll have different emotional reactions. So we've got to understand that. We can't all feel the same. And talking through the issues, I think, is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Can we just get back to the experience of taking a photo? Because I often say, when people say, how come people don't take photos with their mobile phone? 
you'd think more of that would happen. One of my responses is that about a quarter of witnesses have got a dog or a horse with them and it's just too difficult to take a photo when you have got an animal with you that you've got to keep under control as you're seeing a big cat or experiencing a big cat but you managed to do it so that's in a way you've proved me wrong that it can be done but it was extremely challenging though it was it was challenging and difficult but i think that the reason why i'm probably more prepared to do it was the fact that i'd spent the last four or five years waiting for this to happen again and was always going to be at the back of my mind poised ready to try and get a photo so you were primed yes yeah definitely because i would imagine that the majority of people that have sightings only ever have one and if my first sighting i was in awe and in shock that taking the photo didn't even enter my mind at all didn't even enter my mind when you spot something that you don't see all the time like a deer or something like a stoat Mm. a badger something that's sort of quite out of the ordinary not like a rabbit or a squirrel or something that's slightly intriguing you do tend to enjoy the moment rather than jumping to take a photo yeah so i think the first one i wouldn't have thought of it but the second one it was still difficult for me to do it and i missed out on any sort of video footage as well yeah even though I was primed and prepared trying to do it. So that's how difficult it is. Yes. The cat at that time in that Herefordshire woodland, it was aware of you, wasn't it, throughout all of this time? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just kept looking over every couple of seconds and it was looking just very calmly, very confidently. It acted like it was quite used to people. Yeah. Or maybe that's because they've got nothing to be scared about, possibly, because... I don't know. There was just very something very relaxed about this yeah. particular cat. It was just what wasn't too fussed, the fact that I was there, or the fact that I had a dog that was as big as it. Yeah. And presumably you were pretty pleased that your dog didn't go over to check it out. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, my dog is scared of domestic cats and foxes. Anything like that, he wouldn't even... He wouldn't pick up on it, and if he did, he definitely wouldn't approach it. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad he didn't, but no. Time now for our word of the week, and for this episode we have melanism. We regularly talk about black or melanistic leopards, so here is an explanation about it all with some basic genetics. John, our guest, reported a black cub and what appears to be its black mother. And as we find, apart from the tan-coloured, puma-like cats, all the panther cats reported in Britain are black. It is extremely rare for a credible large spotted cat to be reported here. So why do we seemingly have black panther or black leopard-like cats breeding on black in Britain? Melanin is the dark or black pigment of skin and hair which leopards and some other mammals and several other wildcat species can express. And melanism is a result of a germ cell mutation. So it's a type of mutation which passes from generation to generation. On the website, under links for episode 22, we've put a short video clip of a black leopard mother with one black cub and one spotted cub. And this illustrates how there can be different permutations in the colour mix of litters from a black and a spotted leopard parent. In leopards, melanism results from a recessive allele. But the surprise with leopards is that two black leopard parents seem to breed black offspring 100% of the time. And we can pretty much see this in the evidence from the Malay Peninsula, which has the main comprehensive populations of black leopards anywhere in the world. So there, the leopard population seems to be exclusively black, and they get called black panthers in that region. And it would appear that the black panthers reported in Britain have this fixation of melanism. On the website, we've put a link to the summary of a 2010 article about the melanistic leopards in the Malay Peninsula from the Journal of Zoology, with evidence about the near fixation of melanism in that leopard population. And we've also put a link to a two-minute video with simple animation graphics to explain how an allele can affect colour traits of animals. Now, for jaguars in their black form, melanism is a result of a dominant allele, But from zoo experiments, we know that two black jaguar parents do not produce litters that are always black. 
about a quarter of the offspring are spotted. We'll inevitably talk more about melanism through the podcasts. We will be discussing black jaguars briefly in a couple of episodes' time because we'll be looking into the continual Black Panther reports in North America in the past and the present day, and it's thought some of those could be a remnant population of black jaguars separate from the Middle and South America populations. And there's a question over whether dark or melanistic pumas are possible. So, more to follow on that in a couple of episodes' time with a guest from Texas. Meantime, there's our word of the week, melanism. We'll go on to Canic Chase now, because... That's not far from you, and you have picked up on the grapevine of sightings there, although it's gone quiet, we both reckon, in recent years. But I would say that we would love to hear from any witnesses in Cannock Chase. I've said this before, and we'd like to do an episode based on sightings from Cannock Chase, if anybody would like to come on the podcast. But, John, tell us what you've heard from Cannock Chase area, if you could. Cannock Chase is very close to me, and... Following on from when I had the first sighting, I noticed at the time that there seemed to be a lot of sightings in Cannock Chase. It seemed to me like it was one of the most popular places in the UK that people were having repeated sightings. So we spent a lot of time walking around Cannock Chase and trying to see if I could see any evidence, sightings, speaking to people while I was over there. These weren't friends of any sort. They were, these were just people that I would see regularly walking the dogs over Cannock Chase. And there was one guy an elderly guy who had two Labradors who stands out. He'd seen cats on several occasions, but they weren't black. He was pretty convinced that these were lynx or puma. Mm -hmm. They were definitely like a, a tanned colour. Yeah. So he described them as bigger than his Labradors. Several people, when you're sort of walking around there, had sort of had opinions that they'd seen different big cats, etc., and that it was quite common knowledge that they were there. The rumours were from this old chap that I used to speak to that he, his sort of belief and stories were that if you look by Birch's Valley, Canic Chase, then that during World War II, they were actually like army bases mm -hmm. for a lot of the US soldiers. He had heard many stories that apparently they had a lot of Puma Cubs that the US soldiers brought over and that they actually let them go on, on the chase before they left. So they were mascots. Yeah, they were um, They were brought over and then they were left. They were just let loose But mm -hmm. when they left. So that was the story behind it, which would make sense, I suppose. And, and we've had a lot of evidence for it. I must say I've walked over the chase hundreds of times. I've never seen anything myself, never any sightings or evidence. But that's obviously, as we know, it's not to say they're not there. Yes. And military mascots is one of the theories of the origins of these cats. And I should say, yeah. in Australia as well, I've been recommending the Australian podcast Missing Panther. And in fact, in episode two, it's all about military mascots there, including from the US soldiers. Interesting. I'll have to have a listen to that. Missing Panther. Yep. Yeah. Highly recommended. I think that is a, a very credible explanation for part of the founding population of these cats. For people who don't know Canic Chase, it's heathland and scrub and pine forest, uh, partly owned by Forestry Commission, a lot of common land. Yeah. So a big open area of heath and forest and woodland and scrub, which would be perfect for the cats to exist in. It's huge, Rick. If you look on a map and you look in comparison to other areas, it, it's one of the biggest forested areas in the UK. It's a huge, huge mm. area. and There's caves, quarries, forest land, heathland. There's a lot of deer. The only thing, and I think you touched on it earlier, is that for some reason, I can't remember the last time I've heard of a sighting over there, whether it's online or in the papers or anything, that just seemed to have sort of dropped off a cliff, really. I would say, John, that the lack of reported sightings doesn't mean to say that the sightings aren't happening and encounters aren't happening. I suspect it's the majority of reports are never relayed anywhere to me or to other good people who take reports or to newspapers or the police I, I would reckon the majority of people keep quiet about their reports as indeed you did with your mother and cub one yeah yeah i did absolutely i think once you sort of gauge the reaction of 
most people, unless it's like-minded people or people that have had a sighting themselves, then it is actually very easy to speak to people. But if if it's not, it's very easily dismissed, which I find a little bit ignorant, really, because it's not like people are saying that they've seen little green men or creatures that don't exist. There's there's so many different, very simple explanations for a small number of cats to be in this country. It's not far-fetched. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, let's quickly swap notes then about Canuck Chase reports, because I'll start with mine, because I have had a few, and Nigel Spencer, who does Rutland Panther Watch, has had many in the past, and we heard from him in, the, in an early episode on the podcast series. But the one that stands out to me was that I had a countryside ranger come up to me at my stand a few years ago at the Bushcraft Show, where I was giving talks and taking reports of big cats and discussing it with people. Yeah. And this countryside ranger was in the Canuck Chase area. He worked for a public body, I won't say which one. And he said that he had an open mind about the topic and he was aware of reports, including sometimes to him directly. And one day he was asked to go and remove a deer carcass up in a tree, hoisted high in the tree. And he wondered all about it as he approached and had an open mind about why it might be there. But he said when he got to it, it was a third consumed in a very clinical manner. Clearly not something which a poacher had done or somebody done for a hoax. And he said it was a classic when he looked into it, leopard-like carcass of leopard eating behavior and that changed his mind instantly that he was removing evidence of a leopard hoisting its carcass in a tree he said that he discussed the topic and the incident with his work colleagues at senior level over a week and they decided to do nothing about it there's nothing that they could do about it they didn't want to spread the word locally because they thought there was nothing else that they could do really with the resources they had to follow up and it was just going to remain as an incident that had changed his mind and that was about it. So I think that is a good example of how snippets of evidence can influence public bodies, official organisations. You know, what do they do? If they mention that they've come across something like that, they might be asked to follow up. They haven't got the resources or knowledge or expertise. It's not a priority to follow up. It's just one thing which has alerted them to the possible existence of these animals, but it's not a regular thing. Let's be honest, Rick, most people's sort of default setting generally is that they want an easy life <laughs> and anything like that just sort of opens up a can of worms, doesn't it? They think, well, you know, is it really worth the bother with it? And it's easy to dismiss it, even if they believe it or not. Mm. They believe it, you know, it could be somebody's let a pet loose or oh, yeah. it'll be gone soon. You know, there's so many different ways for people to look at it and dismiss it, isn't there really? And just go, leave it be. Yeah, sure. So you've been chatting to people about Canuck Chase. Uh, you're going to talk about somebody who took a photo. I've seen it, John, so thanks for showing it to me. It's one of those ones which is ambiguous, but when you sort of draw the lines in to where the animal is, you can actually see that it is a credible photo. We can't put it on the website because we haven't got the permission from the person who took it, but it's a classic one. That if I showed it to my other half, she deliberately laughs at me and says, bring me back a perfect 10 out of 10 photo and stop messing about with these things that detract from the credibility of the subject. But of course, the likes of you and I who are interested have to look at these grainy photos and work out what they are because it gives us heart if we think it is a big cat. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. There's two things to that. And putting the photo out there is that we don't have the permission, but that's only because the work colleague who took the photo, ex-work colleague, he moved over to France and I've, I can't seem to find him. Mm -hmm. The photo is ambiguous. I see the evidence from two points of view because I obviously had the conversation with him. It was something that he'd had the sighting that was a little bit more detailed than just that photo. He kept it quiet from a lot of people because he'd shown the photo to people and it wasn't a 10 out of 10 photo, mm. so to speak. He was walking up the path in Canet Chase and ahead of him on the path, this was a lynx, by the way, a lot of large mm. lynx. It was stood clear as day, bright sunlight, it was clear right in front of him, um, a lynx on the path. And then as he walked into the woods, the dark area of the woods, he managed to get his phone out. But I, I would say this is probably not long after my first sighting, I would say. So mm -hmm. you're probably talking eight, nine years ago. The quality of the phone that the photo was taken off probably wasn't the best. Um, it was dark in the woodland. He's done his best to take a photo of it. 
you can see the outline. If you look at it sharply, you can see clearly what it is. And it would be great if somebody had the technology to enhance it somehow. And I think it might be able to improve the photo. But until we get to that point, I don't know how credible it is. Interesting that I think all three types of cats, the lynx type, the black panther stroke black leopard type and the puma mountain lion type, they all get reported or have been reported in Canic Chase. And it's a good area to keep your eye on, basically. Sightings probably have dropped off in general. A lot of that I put down to the fact that people are probably a little bit more relaxed about the whole subject now. And it's not such a big surprise. In certain areas, Hereford, um, for example, where I saw that postman, you know, can it chase the people that are out there on a regular basis or in the area? It's probably not such a big deal to them now. And so it's probably not as highly reported. Yeah, sure. I think sometimes when you get reports also, it's a journalist who's new on the scene to the subject who thinks it's interesting and they're more keen to do a report. And some of the experienced journalists who've done it all before think, well, it's just another big cat report. There's no great shakes in that. So we're not going to give that any priority. So I should add that I have had reports myself secondhand, but from very credible wildlife people in that area in Herefordshire where you had your encounter and where you took the photo. Exactly that parish, at least. Thanks for letting us see that photo. And in fact, we've got one panned in, zoomed in, and one initially. So that is helpful. And it's sitting next to a big mature pine tree. Is that right? Yes, yeah, it's next to a very big tree. So it's not a small branch. or So that gives some scale to the size of the cat. I mean, you can see from the initial photo how far away it is in comparison to when I zoom in. It would take a few people to do it, but I'd be more than happy meet there and try and use a cutout or my dog or something as a comparison and, and retake photos to give people a better comparison of it. I'd be more than happy to do that. We may have to wait till after this frustrating and very worrying curfew on the virus, but hopefully life will return to normality in coming weeks and we can get out and about again. Let's hope so. John, is there anything else you'd like to say on the subject before we close? We've covered your view on big cats living in the wild in Great Britain, I think. So is there anything else you'd like to say? It'd be nice if people would report the sightings rather than keeping it to themselves or any evidence they've got, barring giving the exact locations away. I think it's important to keep the locations secret, but get the evidence out there and let us all enjoy them being there. They're not doing any harm, so just leave them to it, really. Hopefully, the podcast is great, I must add. You're doing a good job of obviously bringing a lot of good witnesses to the attention of other people, and hopefully that will bring out more uh, witnesses. Lovely. Well, thank you for those kind words, John. And you've just added to the mixture of material we have on the podcast, hopefully. And um, finally, do you expect to see a big cat again in your life? I'm going to continue to go on these walks into these areas as much as I can and just sort of hope, really. But I suppose, yeah, I I would like to think so. Okay, but what if it was a frightening experience? What if you suddenly felt very differently because you were up too close or you were traumatised? You've got to think about that. So what do you think about having a different kind of experience? That's a good point. I think I might think very differently about it if it was in a a different scenario. But being close to, particularly the second sighting, the first sighting, some people might say that is ideal because you're in confined space. You're safe, you're inside a car, you're at close proximity, you see a mother and a cub, which is great. But the second sighting, being in close proximity to wondering in an area where there was nobody else around, where it potentially could have put me in danger. It just didn't give me the feeling that I was in danger. I don't know why, but it just it just didn't. Hopefully I won't have a, a worrying encounter, but hopefully I'll, I will have another in some fashion. Sure. Yeah, and I think as we've largely sort of discussed on the podcast, they seem to treat us with contempt almost and ignore us and go about their lives in a confident way because they can do. They're not stressed in any way and they don't see us as a threat and they probably feel there's a slight risk of tangling with us so they don't bother. I think you are there. They're not at threat, are they, in reality? So they're quite confident in that respect. Animals are intelligent, particularly predators and they're obviously aware that they're not in any particular danger, so they just go about the business quite confidently. Yeah, sure. 
John, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing those experiences and allowing us to see a photo. Lovely bonus to have a photo on the website as well. If we get feedback on the photo, I'll relay it on a future podcast and certainly relay it to you. Meanwhile, thanks ever so much, John, for coming on the show. Great. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for having me. Nearly finished now, so a few messages before we sign off. First, back to the point when John asked me about evidence. I need a big slap on the wrist because I didn't mention the tooth pit work. That's all about analysing the tooth marks on the bones of suspected prey. We looked into all of that in episode 9, and it's an important way of finding potential signs of the cats. It's work being conducted at the Royal Agricultural University in Sirencester. I'm pleased to say that this podcast and people involved with it have directly helped increase the number of samples that current students are analysing in the lab because since we put out episode 9, two of the past guests have found toothpick samples in their own areas for the ongoing study and that's splendid because they're both from Scotland and that helps spread the geographical basis of the database. One of these samples has been checked and it was validated as a triangle carnassial matching leopard and puma scale and pattern. So that's a big plus. And in episode 17, Paul, our guest, said he found a stash of bones, what might be called a graveyard situation, when he followed up a report of a panther crossing a road and going into a forest. Paul said he'd go back to that area, look for toothpits amongst the samples. He's done that. We have a photo of one of the key samples that he's found which did have toothpits on it. That sample is being sent to the Royal Agricultural University now. So well done to Paul for that and people can see a photo of it under episode 22 on the website. So all of that is a note to recognise that there's a whole spectrum of types of evidence from secondary to primary evidence and it doesn't all centre on video and photographic footage as much as we like to look into that. The final point to make on the show is that here we are in lockdown in mid-April and the last two weeks have suddenly become busy with reports to me and to some of my close contacts. Two here in Gloucestershire are worth mentioning. One is that a lady and her husband were in the Stroud Valleys area in the South Mid Cotswolds. They saw a tan-coloured cat resembling a puma in a wooded valley. And the lady reported that her husband, who saw it with her, has already erased it from his memory because it was far too awkward to process. I wonder how much of that actually goes on amongst witnesses. Probably a fair bit, and it's quite understandable, I think. And another incident in Gloucestershire involved somebody being followed by an animal that they didn't see. Their dog was spooked. They were very unnerved. The animal followed them and certainly seemed to be exhibiting what's called following and hiding. One report on the edge of Exmouth was seen in the grounds of a hotel from a balcony for about 40 seconds. The witness believes it may well be a sub-adult puma, a young puma, mountain lion type cat, because it had markings, possibly resembling the blotchy brown spots that young pumas have till they are 8-10 to ten months old. For our next episode, we are staying in the Midlands. Our guest will discuss his sighting in Warwickshire, and he also had an encounter with a puma, a mountain lion in California, which we'll hear all about. More recently, he's had an A-grade deer carcass, which turned up on his land, and we'll discuss what he did to examine that for big cat evidence. As he is a horse trainer, we'll hear a bit about horse reactions to big cats, which we touch on sometimes in the podcasts. Righto, that wraps up this episode. And as ever, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you're all staying upbeat during this unsettling time with the virus situation. So please take care and bye for now.